As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This episode of Let's Go to Court is brought to you by Gabby Insurance, Smithsonian Channel's The Lost Tapes, and Best Fiends. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's Let's go to court. court. On this episode, I'll talk about Jesse and Stephen Bourne. And I'll be talking about the murder of Peter Porco. Ooh, Mm, that's a different spelling for born than I've ever seen before. And I'm not sure I pronounced it correctly. It might be born. (laughs) I can't do a whole episode of that. (laughs) So I'm changing their last name right now. It's my mom's last name. Yeah, that's what I changed it to. (laughs) How you doing today? Well, you know, you know, things have been, you know. (laughs) We're trucking right along here. I apologize for this throat thing I have. Yeah, and do you want to tell them how you... I've never seen anyone do this before. Okay, well, I'm sorry. We were getting the show on the road. I was fine to keep on sucking. Kristen gave me a cough drop, and then we're like, realized that it was time to record. And so I took half of the cough drop that was left out of my mouth and rewrapped it in the wrapper. Are you a grandma who was raised in the Depression? Like, what? <laughs> I don't know. What? Um, you guys, I just finished mine, you know, so. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) And then you offered the rest of your cough drop to Norm. I told him it had never been used. (laughs) No, he wasn't. He wasn't believing it for a second. No, little Normie. Oh, Norm doesn't have a mic today, so he can't even join in. Okay. Sorry, Norm. Just the eye candy. Okay. <laughs> God, keep it in your pants, Kristen. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Norm. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Norm's got new jeans, and he's just really feeling himself over there. You guys, for real, Norm has new jeans. They're really nice new jeans. I wish you had a mic right now. Before this moment, the nicest pair of jeans this man owned came from the Old Navy. <laughs> and, I mean, I hate to tell you how fancy he is, but... We went to Nordstrom. Ooh. I know. I know. I know. Someone really nice must have sent you guys there. <laughs> Do you want to tell them what happened? Okay. So Norm was talking about how he has trouble, you know, fitting in jeans because he's got those. We've, getting all that in them jeans. That's right. We've talked about his thighs before on this program, folks. <laughs> and um, so I instructed him. To go to Nordstrom because they have like a special, they carry lots of different kinds there. They have like a whole personal dresser. Who By the will, way, Nordstrom, not a sponsor. We're no, just fans. No, but like, here's what Norm and I have in common. We have bodies that are difficult to dress. <laughs> you and both so, have beautiful bodies. Thank you, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Thank you for appreciating our unique bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have experienced the 
amazingness that is the jeans department at Nordstrom. So they finally took me up on their offer. Yeah, so you told us to do it. Yeah. Did we do it? No. No, no we went to like Target, which I mean... We went to a bunch of places and it just did not work out. And finally, we took Brandy's advice. And you know what? Mm. Norm looks amazing. Amazing. He's like a model fresh off the runway. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Okay. Let me do some shout outs. Okay. And jazz hands. I was going to say, people are really missing out on these jazz hands. (laughs) First of all, to Christy on Facebook for sending this suggestion in. Ugh. Amazing. Thank mm-hmm. you. And then to the fine people over at ForensicFilesNow.com. Never heard of that website. I was researching this case. Christy, when she sent the recommendation, sent the link to a 48 Hours episode, which was great. Mm-hmm. But it had some holes in it that I was having trouble filling in. Found this ForensicFilesNow.com website, which then linked me to a crime library article oh about my gosh. the case. <laughs> was meant to be yep your my favorite, favorite website my favorite website <laughs> and thank you to rachel bell at the crime library most of this information comes from her article and from the 48 hours episode okay here we go after i take a drink of water and train <laughs> i was gonna lube up your, my throat your poor throat it doesn't hurt it just sounds terrible oh great <laughs> it was november 14th 2004 and peter porco had failed to show up for his job at the state Supreme Court in upstate New York. Really? Yes. He worked as a law clerk for Judge Cardona. I thought I had a first name, but I don't. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Sorry for the awkward pause there, folks. Ooh. Somebody in Hawaii is calling me. Ooh. Do you think they are calling to tell me that I've won a free vacation? I would bet money, yes. <laughs> it's 100% not spam at all. Not at all. So Peter was super reliable, as these cases always are. You know, nobody expected him to not show up for work. So they were very alarmed when he didn't. And so his boss, this Judge Cardona, had one of the other men in the office, this guy Michael, go to Peter's house to check on him. So he went to (gasps) 36 
broccoli drive broccoli broccoli not like the not like the vegetable b-r-o-c-k-l-e-y i was so excited delmar new york okay delmar new york all right all right where peter and his wife joe lived cute Cute house very Mm -hmm. cute house so this guy michael shows up at the house and he walks up and he kind of like looks in the windows and he is shocked immediately because there was blood everywhere. everywhere. Blood all over the floor of this house. So he notices that the key is in the front door of the house. And there's also like a trail of blood like on the walkway. He enters the house through the unlocked front door and he finds Peter Porco dead. Oh. Badly mangled. Mangled? Mangled and laying on the floor. It was very clear that Peter Porco was dead. He had obviously been the victim of some kind of very violent attack. Okay, but what do you mean by mangled? Um, I think like shredded when... uh, We will come to find out that he has been attacked with an axe. (gasps) Yes. Okay. Like hit 13 times in the face and head and torso with an axe oh my god how would you describe that Kristen? i you know what i wouldn't i would never have picked this case (laughs) (laughs) which is why we work so well together right so this guy michael from the office calls the police and then he calls judge cardona and is like hey this is what's up and the police show up Hmm. Lock down the scene, figure out what's going on. Upstairs in the Porco's master bedroom, Joan is still in bed. Their bed is drenched in blood. (gasps) And Joan has also been attacked with an axe. They get emergency crews to the scene immediately. Her face, she's missing an eye. Oh, my God. She's been hit three times in the face with an axe. Part of her brain is exposed. Oh. It's horrible. They get her loaded into an ambulance. And about that time, this detective, Detective Chris Bodish, B-O-W-D-I-S-H, Bodish. Sure. Mm-hmm. Who works for the Bethlehem, New York Police Department. He shows up on the scene. He's a seasoned detective and he's actually familiar with the Porco's home couple years prior, they had had some kind of burglary at the home, a minor break in. Not much was taken Two laptops, but nothing else. OK. Um, they'd gotten in through like a garage window and by cutting the screen and breaking the window or whatever. And so he's familiar with the home. He remembers being there before. And he remembers that they have two adult sons. By his account, as Joan is being loaded into the ambulance on a gurney. She motions to the detective to come over. This is a woman whose brain is exposed and her eyeball is missing. Mm -hmm. And he says to her, do you know who did this to you? And according to him, she nods yes. And she says, and I believe at this point he's done like a cursory glance through the crime scene. And to him, it looks like a staged robbery. Nothing from the home is missing. No drawers have been tossed, as he would say. But a screen on a window has been cut. The security alarm pad has been smashed, like destroyed. Uh So to him, this looks like somebody 
made it look like someone broke in. And with his knowledge of the previous burglary that they had, he's like, this is staged and it looks like an inside job. What? Yes. And so he asked Joan, do you know who did this to you? And she nods yes, according to him. Like one nod, like a Mm -hmm. very like affirmative nod. And he says, they have two sons. One's older. I believe his name's Joshua. Was it Joshua? And she shakes her head no. Why does he immediately assume? And so then he asks, was it Christopher? And she repeatedly, according to this detective, Uh nods her head yes. Okay. And says, yes, it was my son Christopher with a nod. From there, they take her off in an ambulance. She goes through like 12 hours of surgery. She's in a coma for days. And when she awakes from her coma, she has no recollection of the attack, no recollection of the weeks that have gone by since the attack, Hmm. and no recollection of implicating her son in her husband's murder and her attack. There's a reason that this detective thought that it might be I'm sorry. I think I said one of the sons' name was Joshua. It's Jonathan. I was very close. Boy, Mm-mm-mm. Jonathan and Christopher. That's my game, lady. Don't you come over here. <laughs> so there's a reason that he thinks it might have been the boys. Okay. Because two years earlier, when he had worked the case of this burglary at their house where the two laptops had gone missing, they had determined that in that case, it was their son, Christopher, who had stolen the laptops. Whoa. Yes. He had stolen the laptops, staged this burglary scene, The laptops were then listed for sale on eBay, and they were able to trace those sales back to Christopher. So a real bright kid. Yeah. What an elaborate thing to do. I mean, why not just take a laptop and be like, I don't know where it is, and then you sell it on eBay. Right. Yeah. And nothing ever came of that. He was never charged with a crime. I mean, nothing. Well, yeah, your parents probably aren't going to charge. But it stuck in this detective's mind that there was something up within this home. Christopher didn't live at home. He was away at college in Rochester. But we're talking very quickly after this attack. His name is the prime suspect. Okay. And his mother has implicated him. The scene inside the Porco home was crazy. When I say there was blood everywhere, as I always do, Mm -hmm. there was literally blood everywhere in this house because something crazy went on with Peter Porco after he was attacked. What? So Peter and Joan were attacked while they were sleeping in the early morning hours. At some point, Peter's like alarm went off for work Mm -hmm. after he had been attacked, after he had been bludgeoned 13 times with an ax, his alarm went off for work and he got up and got ready for work. Was he just so out of it? it? The part of your brain that is like your root that like Habits. takes you through your routine. Oh my god! Had not been injured, and so he literally got up. He went into the bathroom. He shaved. There's a trail of blood to the what? bathroom. There's blood all over the sink. There's blood everywhere where he shaved. He then got dressed. He went downstairs. He went outside and got the newspaper. He then locked himself out of the house. He got the hidden key out what? of like the hidden toad like yep. key holder I, thing. Yeah. Got back in the house, went and made his lunch. And then at some point, he finally lost enough blood that he collapsed onto the floor and died. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
all after being attacked and being hit 13 times with an axe. That's incredible. Isn't that insane? Well, I guess, I mean, I'm sorry, this might be a weird thing to say right now, but those self-help gurus always go off about the power of your habits. That's I mean, right. they talk about how you just It's go, like locked into a part yes. of your brain. Yes. That is nuts. I know. So, and I assume none of his neighbors saw him out bloodied and yeah. Okay. I, I don't believe okay. so. I would I would think someone would have intervened <laughs> had they yeah, had they seen that. So, Word of this attack in this, you know, nice neighborhood to this nice family that everybody knew spread very quickly. Mm -hmm. And Chris, who was 200 miles away at the University of Rochester, got a call later that morning from a reporter (gasps) asking if he had a statement on what had happened to his parents. And he says that this is how he found out that his dad had died and his mother had been attacked. Oh, yuck. Oh, my God. If you believe the prosecution, though, Chris already knew that his parents had been attacked. You know what? Here's the thing, though. (laughs) Even if you're pretending like you're finding out for the first time, it should always be from the police. You find out that people are dead. Yeah. So as soon as Chris gets this call from this reporter, he calls the police department back in his hometown and he's like what's going on mm-hmm. and then he finds out that yes not only has his father been murdered his mother is like in this crazy surgery this fight for her life but he is the prime suspect and they have a all points bulletin out on him to bring him in for questioning wow yeah he's like well shit i guess i better get myself back to town so i can sit down and be questioned And so he does like it's a couple hours later and he comes back. He went to the Albany Medical Center where his mother was being treated Mm -hmm. by his account. He saw her all swollen and unrecognizable and missing an eye and hooked up to all these tubes. And he just collapsed onto the ground and burst into tears. However, there's a differing account by this reporter that happened to actually just like by happenstance be at the hospital. His wife was in the hospital oh. and he was there with her. Uh-huh. And so he got to see Chris at the hospital that day and got like an exclusive report on this crazy case uh-huh. and said that he was extremely unemotional the entire time he witnessed him. Huh. Yeah. He never saw him cry or collapse onto the ground yeah, yeah, or yeah. any of that. So after he gets to go see his mom, he's then taken down to the police station where he agreed to be interrogated. And he sat down for six hours with investigators and talked about where he was the night of the attacks, whatever. He maintained his innocence throughout this entire interrogation, Mm -hmm. said he had nothing to do with any of it. There was no way he could have had anything to do with it because he was at home the whole night at his dorm sleeping on a couch in the rec room on his floor. Any witnesses? Well, what's weird about that is that when they followed up by that, there'd been a movie night in the dorm rec room that night, and no one said Chris was there. Yikes. Yeah. And they were like, this was a square room with like three couches and some chairs. Yeah, no one's going missing. It's not like he was overlooked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, his dorm mates were like... I don't know where he was, but he wasn't sleeping in that rec room. Yeah. So the investigation is continuing, but they are very focused on Chris Porco as being Mm -hmm. the perpetrator of this horrible attack. And he is being 
like constantly berated by the press. He's being called at all times of the day and night for statements like they're hounding him whenever he's going to and from the hospital to visit his mom. And so five days after the attack, he retains the services of a defense attorney. Mm -hmm. He claims that he did this because he was going to take legal action against the press that was harassing him, not because he was a suspect. But, you know, (laughs) I don't know if a defense attorney is probably who you contact if you're. Well, and what what do you got? What do you got, Kristen? I I personally, like, I think if you're the prime suspect in a crime like this, I don't think it's so, so bad that you would get a defense attorney, even if you're innocent. Yeah. Yeah. If you're guilty, you for sure need one. But Well, yes, <laughs> if you're guilty, you for sure need one. And, and yeah, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you would just get one. I don't know. It didn't look good to the press, I'll tell you that. Okay. Yeah, sure. Weeks go by, they hold a funeral for Peter Porco. Joan comes out of her coma and remembers nothing. She sits down with police after she's recovered. She looks nothing like herself anymore. Her attack was completely to her face. She, as I mentioned, lost an eye. She has scars and she just looks nothing like herself anymore. Mm -hmm. And she is very upset that... Something she did or didn't do, has no recollection of, has resulted in her son being the prime suspect in the murder of her husband and this attack on herself. So she at no point thought that no could have done this. No. She says, absolutely not. But the police are convinced that this is the right direction. Mm -hmm. And so they start looking further into Chris Porco. And this kid has all kinds of fucking problems. He's failing out of school and lying to his parents about it. They track the sale of those computers. That was not the first instance. There was another robbery at the Porco home where they were able to track the sale of the items that went missing from there. There was a robbery at the veterinary clinic that he worked at where a digital camera and stuff was stolen. Again, they're able to check the eBay records and he sold those items on eBay. At one point, his grades were so bad that he got kicked out of school. His parents found out about it. He lied to them and told them it was an error that one of his teachers had lost his final exam and had erroneously said that he failed. And he got suspended from the school for a year mm-hmm. because of his because like, of a teacher's academic probation. But when they figured out it was the teacher's mistake, now he's going to get a free year of college out of it. <laughs> what? That's not how, how that works. That, that's absolutely how it works. <laughs> Yeah, our mistake. Now you can go to college for free for a year. Only, of course, he wasn't going to college for free for a year. Did his parents buy that? It seems that they did. There's no way. It seems that they bought it. But it also seems that he was really good at forging stuff to make it look real. So in the meantime, when he had to take a year off from Rochester University, he enrolled at a local community college Did okay at the beginning and then stopped going to his classes. And so he forged transcripts from that community college, sent them to Rochester to get himself off of academic probation and re-enrolled. Wow. With a forged transcript. He told his dad that he needed $2,000 to cover some supplies to get started back up. You know, the semester was free, but he needed books and stuff like that. Right, right. And so his dad co-signed on a student loan for him for $2,000. Only Chris then 
forged the documents and took out a $32,000 loan oh. instead of a $2,000 loan Ooh. co-signed by his father. Uh-huh. And he bought a nice, shiny, yellow Jeep Wrangler huh. and paid for the semester of school that he wasn't supposed to have to pay for. Wow. All of this is uncovered in this investigation wow. into Chris Porco. And so what they also find during this investigation is that Peter and Joan had figured all of this out. Okay. They had put there we all go. of the pieces together and there was this email chain back and forth between them about how they were going to have to sit down and have a really hard conversation about all of this when he was home yeah. for Thanksgiving. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And this attack happened on November 15th. Yeah. So to the prosecution, this is a clear... Yeah. He can't he can't match up his alibi like nobody can verify his alibi. And then we have clear motive here. There's also record that he's been checking into their life insurance policies. Oh, God. And that he stood to get a hundred thousand dollar payout or something if his parents died. Maybe even more than that. Mm -hmm. So all of this information by December of 2004 is presented to a grand jury. At that time, Joan makes like her first public statement. And she says, I want to say unequivocally that although I have no memory whatsoever of the attack, either because I was asleep or because of my injuries, I am absolutely positive that my son was in no way involved in this heinous crime. Hmm. I don't know if the presentation of materials to the grand jury took this long or if the grand jury took this long to deliberate if they wanted to bring down an indictment so they originally met in december of 2004 and started presenting evidence to this grand jury the indictment against christopher porco didn't come down until november of 2005 so like almost a year later yeah yeah but they did the grand jury decided that there was enough evidence to say that chris had probable involvement in the attacks. And based on that evidence, Chris was indicted for the second degree murder of his father and the attempted murder of his mother. So he was arrested. And then there was a bail hearing to determine if he should get bail. Oh, my God. No. So at the original bail hearing, which happened like a year and a day after the attacks. okay. So like November 16th, 2005 is when his bail hearing was held. And a judge couldn't determine at that time. He said he needed longer time to think of it. So like a week later, he comes back and he's like, yes, I will grant him bail. It's $250,000 cash or $1 million bond. And the family raised it. Family and friends, they all thought this was a travesty. They could not believe Mm. that this was going on. Christopher never could have done this to his parents. And so they did all these fundraisers and they raised $250,000 cash and they bailed him out of jail. That's incredible. Yeah. So when he was bailed out of jail, it was the beginning of December. And he made kind of his first public statement. And he said that it felt pretty good to be out of jail and that he was absolutely innocent and that he was looking forward to the trial. Looking forward to it? That's what he said. (laughs) That's a bold thing to say. So as they're moving forward toward trial a couple of things come up that the defense wants they want to change a venue because this has been front page news sure. yeah and then they want his original interrogation video he was not read his miranda rights at that time so they want his interrogation the fuck? what well because he wasn't he didn't really believe he was a suspect they weren't treating him like he was under arrest i don't know 
And so the defense wants his interrogation video kept out of court as well. And they get both of those things granted. I they bet get they it. did. Yes, yeah. they absolutely do. The original interrogation is not admissible. However, they also tried to get the statement of that detective who said that Joan positively ID'd Christopher as her attacker, tried to get that out of court, mm-hmm. and that did not pass. Yeah. That is deemed admissible. So it's June 2006 when the trial begins. This was, like I said, a huge thing. They moved it like an hour away from Albany where the family mm-hmm. lived um, to Orange County, New York. I don't know where that is, but drew a huge crowd every day. The galley was full. The prosecution had some like 80 witnesses lined up to testify wow. about this. So during their opening statements, the prosecution tells the jury that they had evidence that would discredit Chris's alibi. So he claimed that he was asleep on that couch. Mm-hmm. And they said, nope, we're going to show you evidence that shows that's not true. And we're going to show you exactly how he got to and from his parents' house when he said he was sleeping on that couch. So remember, he's 200 miles away. Right. Yeah. So he has to leave school, drive 200 miles, get into his parents' house, attack them, and get back to school the other 200 miles back while he's claimed to be asleep. Uh-huh. Because in the morning, he was found asleep in the dorm rec room. But it was like 830 in the morning when okay. he was found there. So okay. not the entire night. Like yeah, he not claimed. during movie night. No, yeah. not during movie night. I think the movie night wound up in like at like 330 in the morning. So, yeah, Mm-mm. people were in there a long ass time. Yeah. There's a lot of people that could discredit his story that he'd been sleeping on the couch there the whole time. So this was the prosecution's theory. They said that Chris left his dorm somewhere around 1030 p.m. that night and that he drove off campus in his bright yellow Jeep Wrangler, drove the 232 miles to his house and arrived there somewhere after 2 a.m. There is surveillance footage of him getting in his car and leaving campus. Not of him getting in his car, but of his car leaving campus okay. around 10.30 p.m. Okay. But the defense has a reasonable explanation for this. Chris did not have an on-campus parking pass. So every night, he had to uh-huh. and move his car off campus and move it back the following morning. Okay. Because overnight is when they ticket for not having a parking pass. Not bad. It's not a bad defense. Right. And this is exactly what the footage shows. This shows him driving his car off campus at 1030 uh-huh. and driving it back on somewhere around 830 the following morning. Oh, yep. OK. But do they have footage from other nights of him doing the same thing? You know, that's a good question. Thank you. I'm a brilliant person. I didn't find that, but that would be a great question. And that would back up the defense's position. Should so I? surely if they... Should I have gone to all of the all semesters of all of, of the semesters of law school? <laughs> so they said he went there. He used that key that was found in the door. You know, the defense's claim mm-hmm. is that that was Peter who did that when he was walking around in his haze and he locked himself out of the house and let himself back in. But 
the prosecution says that that was actually Chris who did that. Chris went to the house. He got the hidden key out of the frog, let himself in the house, disarmed the alarm. So the alarm on the house, the security alarm, was disarmed with the master code. Mm-hmm. But then the mm-hmm. pad was like smashed, smashed. because the person, whoever did the attack, thought that that would cover up that the alarm had been disarmed with the code. But a separate box in the house, in the basement of the house, logs all of that information. Oh. And so that didn't cover up anything. They knew yeah. exactly what time the alarm had been disarmed and that had been disarmed using the code. Yeah. And that it was by someone who's trying to make it look like a robbery. Absolutely. Again, or the a defense, break in rather, you know, whatever. Yeah. Again, the defense has an explanation for this. Peter regularly disarmed the alarm in the middle of the night to let the dog out and then never said it again. There was like, Mm. he did this commonly. And I guess the records of the alarm system showed this. Wow. But then why smash the pad? Because, okay, under their theory, Uh then, you know, someone new comes along, the murderer Mm -hmm. comes along and then they do that. Uh Assuming that it's, that it works. Yeah. You know, yeah, maybe. Well, no, for sure, no. But like that's their theory, <laughs> yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The prosecution, to support their theory that, you know, he didn't just move his car off mm-hmm. of campus. He actually got on the freeway and drove the 200 miles home, brings forward some witnesses who work at toll booths along the way. Two different toll booth workers say that they remember a bright yellow Jeep with big tires on it coming through their toll booth at times that match the prosecution's theory. Mm -hmm. One going the direction of the Porco home and one several hours later coming back the direction of the school. I mean, it's a pretty noticeable car. And that's exactly it. It is a noticeable car. It's bright yellow. It's got big tires on it. Yeah, it is. It's a noticeable car. And one of the toll booth workers specifically testifies that he remembers the car so clearly because he remembered thinking about it and how it would be a great car for his son. Like, he's Mm. like, my son would love to have one of those. So it stuck out specifically in his memory. Yeah. Okay. The prosecution also brought forward some DNA evidence. This is the only part of possible physical evidence against Chris Porco. And it's very questionable. So they presented a toll booth ticket that they claimed to be the one that Chris Porco turned in when he got off the toll booth and paid his toll or got off the toll road and paid his toll and said that there was his DNA on it. This thing had obviously been so contaminated, though, because how many people touch like where does that go when you turn it back in? Like so a prosecution DNA expert says that there was a ninety nine point six percent chance that the DNA found on that toll booth tag Mm -hmm. matched Chris Porco. But a defense expert was able to come forward and say, yeah, there is a 99.6 chance that it could be Chris, but it's such a vague sample. It could also be 70% of the population. (gasps) Oh, no. Yes. Oh, wow. It wasn't a complete profile. Like, yeah, what we have of it matches Chris, but it also matches 70% of the population. That first one was really misleading. Yes. I hate that. I know. Okay. As for physical evidence on Chris or at the scene, there's none. There was no 
bloody clothing found in Chris's possession. There's no blood evidence found anywhere in his car. And we're talking about a wow, scene. Wow, there's no blood in his car. No blood in his car. That's kind of amazing. And we're talking about a scene that is covered in blood. Right, right. But the prosecution says it makes sense to them. He might not have hit the bodies that hard with that axe. So there might not have been that much overspray. No. There was a chair that sat in the Porco's master bedroom that sat approximately where Chris would have had to stand to attack his father. And it had almost no overspray on it. So it's possible that Chris got no overspray on him. I I don't believe that at all. No, I just don't. If you're going in with an axe. Yeah. You I'm sorry. We're talking you go in swinging. You don't tap people with an axe. I mean, no. In all, there were 16 blows of an axe in this bedroom. Yeah, you're going to get blood. And all Chris over had you. not a single drop of blood on any clothing that they found in his possession. So they're like, OK, fine. All right. All right. The prosecution's like, OK, I mean, okay. clearly what he did was mm-hmm. he went to another part of the house mm-hmm. with a garbage bag stripped down completely mm-hmm. naked. Yeah got a new pair of clothes and went on his way and then dumped it somewhere somewhere along, along the way right i mean that would have to yeah, be it i mean probably there's no way he got no blood on him and yeah the, him the pros- this yeah, crime exactly though. the prosecution says not surprising to us at all that there's no blood evidence in his car chris was a surgical tech part-time at a veterinary office he knows how to clean blood up oh oh shit. he's well trained in how to clean blood off of things Okay. It's a pretty good it's a pretty good point. Okay, yeah. So they spell out this timeline, they bring forward that, they they do the DNA evidence, which is pretty discredited. Like yeah. it sounds really great off the bat. And then when you hear the other expert who's like, Yeah, okay, but it also matches seventy percent of the population. This is like when you see a great headline and then you read the article. <laughs> yes. And then they brought Joan to the stand to testify about that nod. So before Joan testifies, the detective who claims to have seen the nod testifies, a paramedic who witnessed it testifies, and oh. they all say that Joan absolutely knew what she was being asked and answered to the best of her ability. Mm. So Joan takes the stand and says, no, I have no memory at all. I don't think it's possible that my son did this. I have no memory of implicating him. I don't think there's anything to what they're saying. And so the prosecution and the defense bring forward two different neurology experts. Mm -hmm. One who testifies like, absolutely, because of the part of Joan's brain that was injured, she could have been coherent in that moment, able to understand what was being asked of her. The paramedic testified that she was able to follow his commands when he was checking her responses, like Mm -hmm. move your eyes, you know, that she was able to do those things. And so this neurology expert was like, yes, it is possible that she could have in that moment been coherent and been able to register what was being asked of her and respond. Mm -hmm. But... After the surgeries that she went through and the medically induced coma, all of that has been erased. Yes. Makes sense from a neurology standpoint. Okay. The defense puts on a separate expert (laughs) who is a neurologist who treated Joan specifically. Uh And she says, absolutely not. There's no way Joan could have been responding in any way. She couldn't have known what was being asked of her. What she was going through was likely a shock response. Her body was just responding to stimulus. Huh. Yes. 
Oh, shit. This is so complicated. It is. It's so complicated. When it's, you're bringing on witnesses who are contradicting each other, who do you believe? And the thing is, I think so far, every expert witness makes sense. I agree. You know? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. In all, the prosecution brought forward 75 witnesses and spent six weeks presenting their evidence. Okay. And then the defense did their best to break all of those things down. They talked about how, yeah, maybe you have people who saw a yellow Jeep, but they couldn't identify Chris. They never had a license plate. How do you know it's them? A neighbor actually testified that he saw Chris's car in the driveway at 4 a.m., which I have a couple of problems with. Okay. So the defense brings on an expert who says that this could be a created memory. Like, yeah, you've seen it there enough times that then you, yeah, you know, you create a memory yeah. that didn't exist. Yeah. If you're really going through all of this trouble to do this attack, are you going to park your bright yellow Jeep in the driveway? Um, well, okay. So here's the thing. Uh-huh. Here's what I'm thinking. It's a bit of a gamble. Yeah. But... Looking at the photo of that house, okay, he could have pulled into the garage, possibly, Mm -hmm. but maybe he didn't have a garage door opener. Mm -hmm. And even if he did, that's going to wake up your parents. Mm -hmm. So maybe you don't do that. And yeah, you could possibly park your car elsewhere in the neighborhood. Yeah. But then you're going to be walking further, probably with a bag of evidence. Mm -hmm. You risk maybe being seen more. So I... I think it's possible that, yeah, he pulled his bright yellow Jeep into the driveway. I mean, yeah, maybe murdering murdering people is risky business, Brandy. That's why I don't do it. (laughs) That's why you don't do it. That's the one reason. So what do you think? What do you think? I I don't know. I think that would have been a very dumb move. And you put all of this planning into this. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's not something you think about. Maybe that's like the thing that you overlook when you're. Staging a scene and murdering your parents. I don't know. It seems like he was smart enough to pull off all of this other stuff. Forging these loans in his parents' names. Right. Getting away with these little burglaries. Like, no. Well, he, he didn't was, really get away with He was never charged with anything from them, that's ever. The, that's not the same as not as getting away with it, you know? Right, right, right. I get yeah. what you're saying, yeah. Um, hmm. I don't know. It seems like a really dumb move to me. And maybe, maybe that's what it was. And maybe he did do it. I'm trying to think about my own neighborhood now. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like I kind of know what cars everybody drives. Yeah. Like, at least in, in my immediate area. Yeah. And so if I saw someone's Lexus in the usual spot, I would make no note of it. Yeah. Because that's not extraordinary. Right. But if they parked it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I might make a note of it. Right. So maybe I'm maybe it makes more sense to park it in the place that people are used to seeing yeah. it because it wouldn't necessarily be extraordinary. Yeah. I mean that here I am defending this guy. I don't know <laughs> what is wrong with with this day. <laughs> Brandy, I just I just can't have you talking bad about him. <laughs> okay. So in addition to trying to punch holes in those prosecution witnesses. Right. The defense also... In the witnesses? Well, in their stories. <laughs> not in the witnesses themselves, Kristen. Must he already be. punched all the holes in his parents. Oh, God. What the fuck? Is <laughs> that too far? Yes. I'm sorry. Oh, my. I apologize. <laughs> we'll lose all our sponsors no, now. God. We finally got them. <laughs> 
So they put forward a couple of theories about other suspects. Oh, good. I always love if this. If Chris didn't do this, who did? Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so here's the first. Mm-hmm. Peter Porco had this cousin, Frankie <laughs> the Fireman Porco. Okay. And he was, he was like a known mobster who was serving 24 months in prison. Okay. And um, apparently he was pissed at Peter Porco because he tried to extend that 24-month sentence somehow. He thought he had, like, some control over it because he worked in the court system, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so apparently he threatened Peter at some point. So bing, bang, boom. It's Frankie the Fireman Porco coming for the Porcos in retaliation. Okay, if that's all true, that's not bad. No, I don't think it's bad either. Okay, all right. Usually when people say, there could be this other guy, I mean, it's always so stupid. It's always like, evil twin, you know. Next possibility. Okay. Remember, Peter Porco works in the court system. Mm -hmm. This guy in 1989 had been, I don't know, something had gone bad during a custodial dispute Mm -hmm. that had gone on in this Judge Cordona's courtroom. He presided over this case. When it happened... This guy was pissed and he threatened to kill Peter and the judge. No. And he was coming back and making good on that. No. Not that many years later and you don't go after the wife. Mm-hmm. All right. You don't like that one? You're not buying that one? You like you like the fireman better? Yeah. So if, okay, you said that happened in 1989 and this crime yeah. occurred in 2004. Mm-hmm. No. No. Okay. But Peter apparently had like run into this guy in mm-hmm. 2004 and refreshed his memory, apparently. Nah. No? Not no. buying it? Not enough to go kill him with an axe and kill his wife or try to kill his wife? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> so after presenting these other theories, finally the defense rests and the case goes to the jury. At this point, this case has gone on for several weeks. And both sides are like, this jury's going to deliberate for a long time. Chris's defense attorney says to Joan, why don't you go home, get some rest. We'll let you know when the jury comes back. Mm-hmm. It's going to be. This is like the O.J. Simpson it's thing gonna where be they're all like, let's all go on days vacation. At least and then they get a phone call. Six hours mm-hmm. later, mm-hmm. they come back with a verdict. Yeah. And they found Christopher Porco. What do you think? Surely they found him guilty. They found him guilty. Okay. But I mean, that they put up a good defense. I think they put up a very good defense. Yeah. I think they put up a very good defense. Christopher reacted, not real emotionally, but just kind of hung his head when the verdict was returned. Joan did not make it back in time to hear the verdict. She missed the reading of the verdict. In December of 2006, Chris was sentenced to the maximum which was 50 years to life in prison. He's currently held at Danamora and will be eligible for parole in December of 2052. Joan still stands by her son and says he is wrongfully convicted and had nothing to do with this. Ugh. In 2013, Lifetime made a movie. Oh, hell yes. Called Romeo Killer, the Chris Porco story. Why Romeo? I don't know. I think it's a terrible title. And they portrayed him as some like Lothario, like who had all the ladies, which a bunch of people have come forward and said that that was not the case at all. But what does that even have to do with the story? It has nothing to do with the story. But when word got out that they were going to be releasing this movie, 
Chris and his mom were very upset by it. And they actually filed a lawsuit against Lifetime to try and block the release. Until Chris was like, wait, you're portraying me as a, as a super hot stud? Okay, I guess I'm okay with it. Yeah, okay, go ahead. No, their lawsuit was dismissed and they, yeah, the movie was able to be released. Um, so didn't Christopher have a sibling? He did. He had a brother. His brother testified briefly at uh-huh. the trial and said that they had a strained relationship and he didn't know him that well. Oh, well. Yeah. That's polite speak for mm-hmm. my brother did it. Yep. I've been polite a few times in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'll speak the language. Yeah. Yep. Wow. He said they had a cold, a cold relationship with each other. That. That story is fascinating. Yeah. I love a good trial. That is I know. the definition of a good trial. Yeah. It was a good one. Thank you to Christy on Facebook who sent in this recommendation. Yeah. Thank you. That Christy. is the murder of Peter Porco. Do Ooh. you think he did it? Of course. Yeah, I think he did it too. Of course I think he did it. But um, I think they did a good job of. Yeah. The defense. Like he had a good defense team. Yeah. He tried to appeal based on ineffective counsel. Oh, uh, like what nice the fuck? You try. had the best counsel you could have possibly yeah. had. Nice try, Romeo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ineffective counsel. Yes. My God. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, what do you got for us? You got talking about the Borns, and we're not talking about my family. <laughs> Brandy, have I got a story for you. Excellent. Hold on to your maternity pants. Woo! We're going on a wild ride. Oh, I can't wait. I don't know anything about this at all. Good. Okay. Do you think I'll know it once we get in it? Hell no. Okay, good. This well, is so old-timey, it is crusted over. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. That was gross. That sounds gross. <laughs> you thought I might... Punching holes joke was bad. Well, it was more in poor taste. Mine was just gross. <laughs> it wasn't poor taste. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is good. Get the apologies out within the episode instead of after. That's right. I apologize for that joke. That was in poor taste. <laughs> so big shout out to an article on the Northwestern School of Law website. So frustrating. It's a great article, but they don't have an author listed. So whoever you are, you know, thank you. And <laughs> I can't read you the title without giving it away. Okay, so, fine. you know, the vaguest of thank yous to well, them. You, like, read it with, like, but you were like, bleep. <laughs> <laughs> huh, I'm trying to remember the actual title. Okay. Anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Another big shout out to historian and writer Mark Bushnell. He writes a column about this for the Vermont Digger called Then Again. That's the name of his column. A case of who done dot dot dot. What? Ooh. Yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) And then, as always, newspapers.com. 
Excellent. This should go without saying. Feeling it. Old timey disclaimer. Old timey disclaimer. It was May of 1812. Oh, <laughs> so crusty. <laughs> In Manchester, Vermont. And something was up. Was a foot. It sure was. <laughs> Russell Colvin was missing. But, you know, he'd be back. He had to come back. He had a wife. He had a young son. He had obligations. Plus, he had wandered off before. And he'd always come back. So, Brady, calm down. He'd be back. Okay, because he had a history of wandering off. (laughs) And always coming back. So he was going to come back. like that cat. (laughs) The cat came back the The very very next day. (laughs) But um, days went by. Days turned to months. Months turned to years. Wow. People in Manchester started to get kind of uneasy. They had a hunch that Russell wasn't just missing. Was he dead? They thought he'd been murdered. Mm. And everyone was pretty sure who'd done it. Russell had obviously been murdered by the two men who hated him most. What? He had two men who hated him? Mm -hmm. Most? Were there more than that that hated him? I mean, people did not really like this guy. Okay. Probably why it took years for anybody to look into his disappearance. (laughs) I guess that should be a bit of a giveaway. (laughs) The two men who hated him most were his brothers-in-law, Jesse and Stephen Bourne. 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 See, before Russell went missing, Jesse and Stephen talked all kinds of shit about Russell. They said he was lazy. He wasn't good enough for their sister, Sally. He spent way too much time at the pub. He mooched off the family. He was dumb. He was weird. What if these Borns are long-lost relatives? Because the Born family comes from New England. But this isn't how your mom spells I know, but maybe name. like, you know how spellings okay, get changed yeah, it's over true. the years? It's true. The, okay, that would be pretty freaking cool. We need to get on Ancestry.com. Map this shit out. That's right. Plus, he got special treatment from their dad. Their dad saw that Russell was a shitty husband to his daughter, Sally. So he said, look. Let me make life a little easier on you two. You two come live on the family homestead and work the land and life will be good. Stephen and Jesse were, I mean, you look pissed off for them. Yeah. They were like, damn, I guess we just have to go be big boys on our own. (laughs) Get our own jabs. I don't know how clear I have been, but Stephen and Jesse thought that Russell was a super douche. Oh, And this will shock you, but when Russell went missing, Jesse and Stephen were not exactly crying their eyes out like, oh, boo-hoo, I sure do miss him. I wish he'd come back the very next day. Like that cat. That's exactly right. (laughs) In fact, no one in the Bourne family, including Sally, was that heartbroken about Russell's disappearance. Three years passed. Damn. Oh, wait for it. (laughs) (laughs) Three years passed, and oopsies, Sally got pregnant, which was very scandalous Uh, at the time. It's 18, what, 15 by now? Uh Uh-huh. Everyone knew that her husband was 
not the father. Uh-huh. Thank you, Maury. <laughs> I'm so glad you knew what I was putting down there. So Sally was looked down upon by everyone in town. And in addition to that, she had the added burden of not being able to collect any kind of financial support from the child's biological father. Ooh. Yeah, I know. That's because since she was still married to Russell in the eyes of the law, any child born to a married woman was presumed to have been fathered by her husband, regardless of whether he'd been, like, alive Mm -hmm. at the time of conception or whatever. Because of this, Sally couldn't collect financial support from her baby's father. So she's like, well, shit, I've got to find Russell. Yeah. But Jesse and Stephen were like, "Mm, come on, Russell's probably dead. Stephen told her that Russell had gone to hell where, Straight to hell. Where potatoes would not freeze. What does that mean? I don't know, but that's super weird. Is that a phrase that people are saying? I have never heard that in my life. Is that like a stick it where the sun don't shine <laughs> thing? You, you go, go where the hell. potatoes won't freeze. <laughs> I mean, are potatoes notorious for freezing? Like <laughs> They must have been. I mean, that must have been like their chief problem up in Vermont <laughs> so in the early weird. 1800s. They're like, I want a potato, but, but it's all stone cold. <laughs> Word got out. That Jesse and Stephen were saying that Russell was dead. People were really creeped out by that potato comment. <laughs> Years passed. There was no proof that Jesse and Stephen had murdered Russell. But, I mean, everybody was pretty sure. I know. But then, one night, their uncle, Amos Bourne, had a dream. Hmm. In that dream. Is this, is this famous, Amos? <laughs> yeah, so he got so sick of those frozen potatoes. <laughs> he, made he made delicious cookies. <laughs> and he was celebrated throughout the land. <laughs> so he had this dream. And in that dream, the ghost of Russell Colvin appeared at his bedside. The ghost spoke. And you know what that ghost said? Jesse killed me. He said, I didn't disappear. I was murdered. (laughs) Then he said, If you go to the old cellar hole in the potato field on the Bourne farm, you'll find my body buried there. Amos woke up and he was like, (laughs) (laughs) he was like, oh my God, finally some evidence in this case. (laughs) So he was like, attention, everyone. Russell was for sure murdered and I know where we can find his body. Come on, gang, let's get him. Let's go where the potatoes won't freeze. (laughs) So a bunch of people went to the old cellar hole that Russell's ghosts had so (laughs) helpfully mentioned, and they started digging. Here's what they found. His body. His body. Perfectly intact. What? I'm just kidding. No, they found a broken plate. A button. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The the lack of trust in your eyes right now. The sun is A broken plate, a button, a pen knife, and 
What's a pen knife? What the fuck knows? And a jackknife. I don't know what that is either. What? <laughs> Two times knives. Uh, there was no body. Uh-huh. But Sally Colvin, Russell's widow, a strange wife. I mean, what do you ever want to call her? Yeah. yeah. Was like, oh my God. That's his button. Every single one of these items belonged to no. Russell. Every last the broken one of plate. He yep. carried around a broken plate. He loved that plate. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She was like, <laughs> she was like, oh my god, let me see that button. Oh wow, that favorite button. Oh how sad. Well, I guess he's for sure dead, huh? I think we can all agree on that. Am I right? All right, time for me to get some old timey child support. Then, are you ready? The sheep barn, which belonged to the Bourne family, caught on fire. Right then? Well, you know. At that moment? A couple days later, you know. I thought like while she was holding the Mm. broken plate and the beloved button in In, her hand. In the Lifetime movie of this story. (laughs) That's how it happened, yes. The fire completely destroyed the barn. Were the sheep okay? Well... I hope. (laughs) (laughs) That was in poor taste, too. (laughs) You're the most monsters we've ever had on this episode. We're just making terrible jokes. This is called (laughs) self-destruction. People were like, wow, okay, something fishy is going on here. Clearly, that barn was burned for a reason. Maybe to conceal evidence. What? A few days passed. Five years have passed. What evidence is in there? Well, we don't know now because it's been burned to the ground, Brandy. (laughs) (laughs) But we have that broken plate, so what do you want? (laughs) A few days passed. A dog was out doing what dogs do. Digging and a sniffing. <laughs> when all of a sudden that dog uncovered a body remains. <gasps> Three local doctors rushed to the scene and What's they this all. this guy's name? Russell? Was it Russell's remains? Russell's. Well, they were just, you know, months away from getting that DNA test figured <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> but the three doctors all said the same thing. The bones that the dog had found belonged to a human. Ooh. Investigators quickly developed. A foolproof, not-at-all-stupid theory. Are you ready? I am. You see, first, Jesse and Stephen murdered Russell and buried him in that cellar. But after a few years, they were like, you know what? That wasn't a very good place to bury him. So they dug him back up, and they buried him again in the barn. But then they were like, "Mm, no, we got to burn the barn and rebury him in a third location But they never could have guessed that a dog would track down Russell's bones after all. What do you think of that? Dogs love bones. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like that kid. I like turtles. (laughs) I'm sorry, was that not what I was supposed to take away from that? Well, I'm saying that's their theory. What do you think of that theory? It's fine. (laughs) I'm just saying if there's a bone and dogs gonna find it, dogs (laughs) love bones. (laughs) All right. <laughs> Naturally, <laughs> they go together like peas and carrots. It's just literally, for some reason, the last thing I expected you to say. <laughs> Normally, you are 
are so fired up about every little thing. You've got a theory on everything about why something's stupid. And this time, your response is, dogs love bones. They do. I've known many dogs. <laughs> Naturally, Jesse Bourne was immediately arrested. Mm. His brother, Stephen, had recently moved to New York, so they issued a warrant for his arrest. While they were trying to track down Stephen, police put Jesse in a cell with a guy named Silas Merrill. Silas had gotten into a little trouble for forgery, but police were like, Hey, Silas, you scratch my back, I'll yeah, scratch see yours. See if we can get out of this born fella. That's right. If Jesse happens to tell you anything about the murder, you just let us know, hmm. all right? Turns out, Silas was an excellent listener with very good luck. Silas told the police, Good news, guys. Jesse told me the whole story. Okay. It happened. Here's how it went down. You ready? You mm -hmm. ready? I'm ready. Stephen Bourne was the one what? Who, who really took That's this the guy's name? Stephen Bourne? Why didn't I put that together until now? Oh, yeah. That's my stepdad's name. <laughs> because it's not spelled the same. First or last name. The PH really threw it you, really didn't threw it? threw me off. Got to keep that pH in balance, Brandy. That's what oh I've always heard. Oh my gosh, Stephen. Sorry, <laughs> so excited now. I know you. You were almost asleep before, but now you are riled up and ready. My stepdad's involved. He murdered yeah. someone in the 1800s. <laughs> Stephen Bourne, Brandy's stepdad, was the one who really took the lead in this murder. He and Russell got into a big fight, and Stephen started beating Russell with a club. And then their dad, Barney, showed up. And Barney was like, oh, man, you've beaten Russell half to death. Here, let me finish the job. And he slit Russell's throat. Then Stephen, Barney, and Jesse all buried Russell in that cellar. Then after a couple of years later, <laughs> a few extra words in there. After a couple years later. Soon thereafter and <laughs> wait a while. <laughs> we can all take our pick of which ones we want to use there. Mix and match, guys. <laughs> like you do, they dug him back up and buried him in the barn. Oh, so the ghost of Russell What's-His-Butt wasn't lying. Right. He did used to be in the cellar. And then, after the barn was destroyed by the fire, they dug Russell back up and moved him to a new location. And damn it, it hadn't taken long for the dog to find him. Damn dog to find because dogs, dogs love, love bones. bones. <laughs> they should have known. <laughs> if only you'd been around, Brandy. <laughs> Investigators were like, wow, hmm, that is super helpful, not at all fishy. And at that point, prosecutor Calvin Sheldon was like, yo, Silas, if you agree to testify against Jesse and Stephen, we'll drop your charges and you'll be free to go. And Silas was like, yeah, I think I'll take that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> Where do <laughs> I sign? <laughs> so there Jesse was locked up, nowhere to go. Investigators were like, look, dude, we know you did it. We know your brother did it. We know your father did it, and you're all going to die for it. Ooh. 
Jesse freaked out. Yeah, because they don't fuck around in 18 no, whatever. No, they they have your trial in two minutes. <laughs> yes. They find you guilty and then they kill you two minutes after That's that. That's exactly right. Jesse freaked out. By that point, police hadn't tracked down Stephen. So Jesse did the only thing he could think to do. He said, okay, yeah, Russell is dead. Fine. But my father didn't kill Russell and neither did I. Stephen is the one who killed Russell. Okay, so some time passed. A while later, after that, (laughs) and Stephen somehow got word that there was a warrant out for his arrest. Poor Stephen Bourne. For the murder of his brother-in-law. And Stephen was like, that's ridiculous. I didn't kill anybody. How dare they say that about me? I'm going right back to Vermont and I'm going to clear my name. No, he didn't. He went to Vermont? Mm-hmm. What? Okay, they're looking for him for murder. Mm-hmm. He's just going to be like, oh, hey, hey, it's me, the murderer. I just wanted to clear things up here. They're not going to listen to him. So why would someone do that? I don't know. Because he know- he's going to pin it on someone else? Okay. Okay. So Stephen showed up, and of course they arrested him. Yeah. And Jesse was like, well, holy shit. I take back everything I said. What? Stephen didn't really kill Russell. I just said that because I didn't know what to do. And the prosecution was like, nice try, liar. (laughs) Both brothers were now facing the death penalty. They were scared out of their their minds. Which is what in 18 whatever? Hanging? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Why am I saying I'm sure? Yes, it was. I mean, what are they going to invent? Electricity? I mean, (laughs) did they have it yet? (laughs) I think they had electricity. <laughs> no, for sure, hanging. Okay. They were scared out of their minds, and they had good reason to be. Because all of a sudden, there were all these witnesses. People suddenly had very clear memories about stuff that happened seven years ago. They'd heard Jesse and Stephen talking about how Russell was dead, and before that, they'd heard the brothers talk about how they wanted to kill him. All of a sudden, people remember this? Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. 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 Seems suspect. Okay. Stephen and Jesse were goners, and they knew it. By this point, they had attorneys, and their attorneys... I had think, attorneys? Probably, <laughs> probably thought they were guilty. Stephen ended up confessing. He said, I killed Russell, but I did it in self-defense. In all likelihood, Stephen's confession was drafted by his attorneys because Stephen had no formal education. I mean, hate to say it, didn't seem like a terribly bright fella, but Mm. this confession was beautifully written and just like hits all the boxes Uh for self-defense. They were headed for trial and things were looking pretty good for the prosecution. Yeah. Except, uh, oh shit, oopsies. The three doctors who had all been so certain that the bones the dog dug up were human, decided that they should double-check their work. And luckily, a doctor in another county had just amputated a human leg, and he'd preserved the bones. And he was like, hey, if you guys want to take a look and compare this to the bones that the dog found, you're more than welcome. Mm Mm-hmm. And the doctors were like, absolutely, thank you. So they took the bones that the dog dug up and they compared them to the amputated leg bones. And they were like, 
Oh, shit. These aren't the same at all. No. Oh, my gosh. They're not human remains? No. (gasps) So we don't even know if Russell is dead. Right. Yep, we've already got people confessing to his murder. Right. (sighs) This is bad, bad, real bad. This put the prosecution in a bit of a pickle. Because with this realization that the body they discovered had belonged to an animal, they were screwed in two ways. Number one, they didn't have a body. But number two, they no longer had their jailhouse snitch. Because now that everyone knew that the body belonged to an animal, the confession that Silas Merrill claimed that Jesse had given to him no longer matched the evidence. It matched the police's theory. Yeah. Which, (laughs) doesn't that tell you? That's very handy. Yeah. But don't worry. As they say in the justice system, the show must go on. I don't think they say Oh, they don't? Hmm. Well. (laughs) And so the trial began. Really? Oh, yeah. Why not? Why would you stop now? Yeah, I mean, they're just going to hang them no matter what, right? (laughs) I mean, yeah. 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 Oh, okay. The trial began, and it was the talk of the town. At that time, when you had a capital case, you couldn't have just one judge. You had three judges presiding over the case. The prosecution brought forth eyewitnesses who claimed that they'd seen Russell and Jesse and Stephen arguing on the day that Russell went missing. I don't think that's a bad policy. No. Three judges. Could be too many cooks in the kitchen, but you know. You're right. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) They talked about Jesse's confession, which he later recanted. They talked about Stephen's confession. Clearly, Stephen had murdered Russell and Jesse had been there all along. The jury was disgusted by what they heard. They found Jesse and Stephen guilty. Of course they did. And both men were sentenced to death. Yeah, like tomorrow. But even for old timey times, that seemed a little harsh. Yeah. So the Vermont General Assembly had a special session, and they decided that Stephen definitely deserved the death penalty, no question, but Jesse had clearly played a smaller role, so he should get life in prison. Stephen was scheduled to be hanged in about a month and a half. Yeah. A minister came to visit him in prison and was like, hey, hey, you obviously committed the murder. You've been convicted. You're going to die for it. Why don't you go ahead and confess? And Stephen said, I am as innocent as Jesus Christ. Ooh, whoa. Whoa, buddy. Whoa, <laughs> okay. easy with the Jesus comparison. So, so he did walk that back then because, I mean, that sounds nuts to anybody. <laughs> he said, I don't mean I'm as guiltless as he was. I know I am a great sinner, but I am as innocent of killing Colvin as he was. Okay. Someone must have eventually believed Stephen and Jesse, because about a month before Stephen was scheduled to die, someone, maybe from their legal team, reached out to newspapers all over the United States Wow! and asked them to print a notice. Here's what it said. Murder! <laughs> Exclamation point. That's, that's just to get your attention. <laughs> and they've got it. <laughs> Printers of newspapers throughout the United States are just... Wait, should I do it in an old-timey voice? Yeah, see? Yeah, see? (laughs) Printers of newspapers throughout the United States are desired to publish that Stephen Bourne of Manchester and Vermont is sentenced to be executed for the murder of Russell Colvin, see? (laughs) Who has been absent about seven years, see? Any person who can give information of said Colvin may save the life of an innocent by making immediate communication. 
Colvin is about five feet five inches high, light complexion, light hair, blue eyes, and about 40 years old. See? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we say people are five foot five high anymore? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. You it know? does. It's not wide. It's high. It's high. <laughs> On November 26th, 1819, the New York Evening Post ran that very notice. And one reader who was staying in a hotel in New York read the notice. And was like, by God, I've seen this, Russell. <laughs> You're getting close. <laughs> he was so blown away that he sat there in the hotel lobby and he read it out loud to some of his friends. And a man named Tabber Chadwick overheard them. Tabber Chadwick? I'm sorry, I don't make up the names. Is that Cassie's brother? I was hoping it's not. (laughs) You know, I guess I don't know that it's not. (laughs) But it's probably not. (laughs) Timing doesn't quite match up, I don't think. No, it doesn't match up. No, it doesn't quite match up. So good old Tabbers over there. Tabby. Tabby Tabbers. So Tabber was like, hold the phone. Because it hasn't been invented yet. But like... (laughs) Russell Colvin? Did you just say Russell Colvin? That guy isn't dead. I know that guy. He works on a farm in New Jersey. And he has talked to me about having lived in Vermont. What? He just took off and started up a new life? Mm-hmm. Where the potatoes won't freeze? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Tabber freaked out. He was like, I cannot let one man die and another man rot in prison when I know that the person they murdered isn't even dead. So he sent two letters. The first one he sent to the Manchester postmaster, who I guess was great at multitasking because the postmaster had also been on Jesse and Stephen's defense team. What? But here's the thing. He read the letter, didn't do anything with it. He's like, oh, cool. Sweet news. Yeah, so maybe he wasn't great at multitasking. But Tabber's second letter went to the New York Post. And on December 6th, 1819, they printed it. Mm. So a man named James Whipley read that letter. He was actually from Manchester, Vermont, where this whole story went down. And he knew all the people involved. In fact, he'd known Russell Colvin. James was currently living in New York. But when he heard this story, he was like, oh, I've got to do something. So he hauled ass to Dover, New Jersey. And sure enough, he found Russell Colvin in the flesh. Shut the fuck up. And James was like, dude, people in Vermont are looking for you. We got to go to Vermont. We got to get this straightened out. And Russell was like, Manny, (laughs) I don't want to. You can't make me. Also, um, he had abandoned his wife. Well, um, well, hold on. Um, My name used to be Russell Colvin, but it's not anymore. It's Tito now. So... I go by T-Bone now. <laughs> and um, Manchester? Manchester, Vermont? Never been there. What? But then later, he let slip several details about Manchester that indicated that he had definitely been in Manchester, or at least knew quite about it. Quite a bit about it. <laughs> he knew quite about it. <laughs> I'm so excited about this story, I'm skipping the skipping words. Skipping words! Let's court. (laughs) Go to. James didn't take no for an answer. Stephen was scheduled to die in about a month, and he had to get Russell to Vermont before the state put him to death. So he hatched a plan. He went up to this super hot woman, whose name I do not have, and he told her the whole... How do you know she was hot? 
um, listen to the rest of this and you tell me if she's hot. Okay? okay. Okay. Just listen. So he told her the whole story and he's like, look, I desperately need your help. I need you to pretend to be super into Russell and I need you to lure him to New York. If you can do that, I'll take it from there. Yeah, she's probably super hot. Yeah, all right. All right. And she agreed. She was like, Ooh, Russell, I'm so into you. This is my sexy voice. Ooh, with your round forehead and your facial scars. What's <laughs> a round forehead? Exactly. He was described that, that way. he's balding, maybe? I like, I like to think of just like a real circular forehead. <laughs> Why don't you accompany me to New York? Mm-mm-mm. And he did. And as soon as they got there, she ditched him. <gasps> Okay, the so nerve. Another source says that James lured Russell to New York by telling him he'd get to meet a woman. And then he got to New York and the woman was like, bye. At any rate, a hot woman was involved. Okay. Okay. So that's when, you know, once Russell's in New York, that's when James really swoops in. He's like, hey, pal. Uh, terrible news, bad news. The British are all up in our business. They've got ships everywhere. So I can get you back to New Jersey, no problem. But we're going to have to take a really weird route to get there. What? Uh, maybe you should just take a nap, you know. Russell agreed. No, <laughs> he fell for that? Russell's, I mean, listen, Russell sounds like a dipshit. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. So like a total badass, just before Christmas, James shows up at Black's Tavern in Manchester, Vermont, with Russell by his side. And all the townspeople are gathered around because he'd sent like an old timey telegram or whatever. Yeah. Carrier pigeon. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. They got that dog. They got that dog. (laughs) Yeah. It tied a note to a bone. So they brought Stephen to come see Russell. Stephen was still in his leg irons, which I... I mean, I don't know for sure what that is, but they sound terrifying. Yeah, it's like leg handcuffs. Yeah, but like straight, right? So you have to walk like a penguin? Oh, yeah, probably. That's what I'm assuming. So in front of everyone, Russell goes, why are you in chains? And Stephen said, because they think I murdered you. And look at you right there, standing alive. With your round forehead. Yeah, and your facial scars. (laughs) With that, Jesse and Stephen Bourne were exonerated. And that is the story of the first exoneration in United States oh history. Oh my gosh. So people say that this is the first wrongful conviction in the United States history. Bullshit. We have no way of knowing that. Yeah. This is the first exoneration though. Yeah. I so I want to say a couple things. Say them. One guy who wrote a book about this whose name escapes me has said that there's a chance that this wasn't the real Russell and that maybe Russell had died. What? I don't buy it. And it seems like a lot of other people don't buy it. But, you know, we just have no way of knowing for For sure sure that this was the real Russell. Hmm. But just saying. He was convincing enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another thing that was mentioned in this article on Northwestern's website that I thought was really interesting was that, like, no lessons were learned from this case because... Once this story kind of got out into the world, people erroneously reported that one of the main pieces at trial was this Uncle Amos guy 
testifying about his dream. Famous Amos. Famous Amos testifying about his cookie recipe and this dream he'd had. Uh-huh. But even in the old timey times, they were like, no, dreams are not admissible yeah. in a court of law. So that never happened. I mean, what it was, was police framing him. Yeah. And not listening to the evidence. Wow. Whew. That so, was so good. Thank you. And so, like, you were surprised when Stephen, like, went back to try to clear yeah. his name. I think... Part of it was naivete. Yeah. And again, it's that thing of he's innocent. So of how course, could yeah. he how could he possibly be in be, trouble for something uh-huh. that he would have never done? So he's just gonna go and clear it right up. Yeah. And Jesse that thought that they would probably never find him. Yeah. So when it came down to all three of you are gonna die, he was like, Well, my brother did it, thinking they would never get him. Yeah. Whew. But yeah. Oh my goodness. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Miss Brandy. Ooh, you know what time it is. Question time. That's right. So this is... Should we have like a song that we sing when it's time for questions? (laughs) Should it be that? Question time. Definitely not it. You guys, if you want to learn more about this song or about these (laughs) questions, join us on Patreon. At the $5 level, you get monthly bonus episodes. I think we've got eight out there right now. We've got Mary Kay Letourneau. We've got the wrongful death suit with Jim Carrey. You think it's a death suit? Wrongful death suit? That sounds terrible. It is. Wrongful death lawsuit? A death suit sounds like... They know what I'm saying. (laughs) They know. Anyway, you've got all that. Plus, you get access to the Discord where we all hang out. People send pictures of their animals. I I love it. And that's where we're getting questions today. At the $7 level, that's where you get bonus episodes plus a monthly bonus video. You learn how to make sausage brunch. Need I say more? And you get a sticker with our lovely autographs. And um, I think that's it. That's all of it. Okay. Let's have some questions. Oh, Andronicus would like to know if you need a beta reader for your book. Um, They volunteer. (laughs) That's so awesome. Um, Maybe for the next one. Yeah. So, uh, Uh. the update with my book. This is the ghost of Kristen's dreams. (laughs) No, so I, I don't remember where we last left off, but I wrote a book. Yeah. Um, I have an agent. He's sending it out to publishers. They are sending the nicest rejections. <laughs> Just glowing rejections. It's like the, it's not you, it's me. You're great, but not that great stuff. But anyway, I'm doing fine. I haven't cried about it in days. So. <laughs> Literally hours. 
<laughs> but no, I'm working on the next one. So at some point I will need beta readers. So thank you. Uh, Kay Burns wants to know, what is your Starbucks order? Mm. Do you have a standard, Kristen? I do. I'm a snob. Oh, yeah? You know I'm a snob. Okay. I am very much about the local coffee That's shop. That's right. Whichever local coffee shop, like even chains. one that sucks. <laughs> but, I mean. And then she complained about her Americano from a crappy donut place. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Well, that was a mistake. <laughs> I, I blame myself. <laughs> no. Um, but when I go to Starbucks, it's, you know, Americano. Yeah. Yeah. Venti non-fat iced chai latte for me. Oh, my God. I get it. It's what I get. Do you always time. say it that fast? Uh, no, I slow it down so that they can get it all, or they might miss the non-fat part, and then I won't like it as much because it's too milky. We've already discussed this. <laughs> uh, fiery one, the Dairy Boy wants to know um, if we could guest or cross over with another podcast, who or which show would we pick? Oh my god, M- my favorite murder would be amazing. Oh yeah, that's what inspired us to do a podcast. Um, true crime obsessed. Yes, I feel like. You and Patrick laughing, I mean, would just, yeah. angels would get their wings, angels is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, no, there'd be so many podcasts. Yeah, armchair expert, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Obviously. I think we'd have to be actually famous to get on that. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> or actual experts at something. Yeah. They do have experts, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, thanks for crushing my Sorry, I know. I realize. I mean, we're not getting on my favorite burger either. I don't know <laughs> right. why I had to crush your dreams. Right. Thank you. <laughs> um, old-timey disclaimer says, would you rather be quarantined with Pac-Man or Disco Fever? I'm not sure what Disco Fever is, but Pac-Man gives me serious anxiety. So. Yeah, I guess I'd go with Pac-Man. You would? I have serious anxiety about Pac-Man. Do you really? Yes. Why? It's not fun for me at all. It's just like the ghosts are going to get you or some other Pac-Man's going to get you. It is well, not fun at all. Well, that's kind of the way no, games go. just anxiety. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So we went this weekend uh-huh. to Up Down with yeah. David's sisters. So fun. They've got that. Yeah, yeah. they got the four-person one. Yeah, no, I love I it. intentionally die in the first three seconds. Are so you serious? I don't serious? have to play it anymore because I'm too anxious. As competitive as you are, you purposely die. Yeah, I, I can't handle it. This is shocking. They just thought I was really shitty at Pac-Man. <laughs> well, you are. <laughs> 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 Carl's 147 says, what is a case so horrible or infuriating that you will not do? Mm. I actually have a local case that I tried to do a couple times and it's so upsetting to me. That even you can't That I can't do it. Do it. Yeah. I would love to know more. Um, it is the story of the little boy in KCK who kind of fell through the cracks of the social work system. Like Mm -hmm. DCF got called Mm -hmm. out a bunch of times. His parents ended up killing him and feeding (gasps) him to the pigs. Oh yeah. And there's like all of this record, but the parents kept moving back and forth across state lines. Uh So the case just kind of kept falling through the cracks. It's terrible. Are you watching the trials of Gabriel? I can't watch it because I know, I know the case. I know I, the case. It's way too upsetting. I cannot watch it. Yeah. People have been asking in our discord if we're watching it. And so I am trying, like, I put it on because, mm-hmm. you know, it seems right up my alley. But, man, stuff with kids, that's hard for me. So I, I will probably watch it, but I'm I'm picking through it pretty slowly. Yeah. Mm. Kristen, uh, this message is not <laughs> specifically for you, but I'm making it for you. Okay. Um, Agent Carter's Fury wants to know what your go-to dance move is. 
Oh, it's the sprinkler for the sure. Sprinkler. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a terrible dancer. Really? You know that I'm a terrible dancer. Would you like Elaine out there? No, I'm not like Elaine. But, you know. You just do like a sway? I mean, dance move? hopefully. Hopefully I do a sway. <laughs> if I have like two drinks, then I'm like, I'm not a bad dancer at all. Look at me go. And then I would hate to see any kind of footage of that. Hmm. What's your go-to dance move? I don't. I don't. Ha- I. I don't have a dance move. Wow. <laughs> you sounded like a murderer who just got caught. You're like humna humna humna. <laughs> DP would like to know. Oh, no. Hi, Dad. Who won Super Bowl Fifty Four? The Chiefs. It was amazing. Oh, first outlaws wants to know. Since Norm hasn't been asking this. The questions the last two weeks, I have to ask, is he buried in the backyard? <laughs> no, oh. he's buried in the cellar <laughs> with his favorite button. <laughs> and I'm pregnant again. <laughs> you know, that original burial place was working out so well, we decided to move him to a new location. Good luck finding him. No, Norm's just fine, we promise. Yeah, so what's happened is that Norm has relaunched his Patreon inspired by us i think and he has had to fulfill a ton of orders because turns out he is actually popular so he's just been more busy than usual and he's dead hmm a <laughs> uh, couple of people asking this would you consider doing a live show and would you come do it in canada no oh my um, god we would love to do a live show but i mean we gotta have more than 12 people there <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i I would be nervous. The idea of doing a live show makes Kristen want to poop her pants. I think I would poop my pants. (laughs) Strapper depends on first. (laughs) Strap that bed. Strap your space diapers on. (laughs) No, I I would do it, but I agree. Like we'd have to more have more than twelve people, and I've never been to Canada. I would love to go. Oh, me too. Probably in January, right? No, (laughs) just kidding. Your breath freezes. That's where the potatoes don't freeze. That's where the potatoes don't freeze. (laughs) Um, Mandy M. said, what are both your opinions on the John Benet Ramsey case? Oh, brother did it. Brother, 100%. Burke did it. Parents freaked out. Didn't think about the fact that he was only nine, couldn't be charged with murder. And so they covered it up real quick and it just snowballed out of control. This bing, is why bing, we're boom. friends. We Done. agree on all the major things in life. Yes. And I even think that the brother did it by accident. Well, sure. Yeah. She sure. got pissed because she ate his snack, hit her with the flashlight. She died. And the parents lost their fucking minds. As you would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> DP's got another question for oh, us. Good Lord. Good Lord. Does Harvey Weinstein get to take his walker to prison? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you guys, you know, we record a week early and it was just announced today that Harvey Weinstein is spending 23 23 years years in in prison. prison. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. I I tell you what, I'm really pleased with the sentence. I think he was facing five to 30, right? And um, yeah, 23, not half bad. Not bad at all. I was I was surprised. Ooh. Uh, 112 Ocean Avenue would like mm. to know, um, which is that the Amityville address? I, that sounds right. 
That's someone after your heart there. Ooh, I know. I just got real excited. It sure is. Yes. <laughs> um, would like to know what the maternity leave plan is. Uh, oh, oh, I would like to know, too. I know. If you've got suggestions, <laughs> let us know. You know what? Maybe we could mention a few things. I mean, or we, yeah. could, we could talk about it right now and edit it out. Yeah. I have no idea what the maternity leave plan is. So one one option is we could just re-release some episodes. Yeah. And I've thought about like maybe we could release one or two that have been Patreon exclusive mm-hmm. just to like tide people over. A little yeah. app teaser. Yeah. Um, we've thought about like my dad could come on. Yeah. And we might do like a combination of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go go a week without putting out an episode, which is our least favorite idea but we've never done that we've record we've released an episode every week since we started this thing yeah so. which is crazy yeah um yeah so maybe maybe a short hiatus we'll see maybe we could have the baby on just let the baby do it yeah just scream just for, scream two, hours. for two hours into the microphone which is yeah. what some people say this podcast is <laughs> yeah it's not that far off from our from our regular if you have specific opinions about what should happen like yeah let us know let us know Give us some ideas. And get them to us quick, because Brandy's going to have this baby this summer. <laughs> yeah, it's You know, what? at work the other day, I started to have a real freak out moment, because I was doing the hair of a woman who works like in the office of an elementary school, and uh-huh. she was talking to another one of my clients and friends who was a teacher, and they were like, oh, summer's just around the corner, you know, we've oh. only got this much time left, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you're like, shut stop. up, shut up. I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be here so soon. <laughs> So soon. I mean, real, real soon. I mean, yeah, real soon. Sorry, that was me doing scary math rudely right in front of you. Real soon. Yeah, I'm like, what? I mean, I'm. I'm. Is it like your life is just all Pac-Man all the time? All the time. Ghost chasing you. Baby chasing me. (laughs) No, I'm unbelievably excited, but also overwhelmed because I'm such a planner and like. There's so much stuff you can't plan for. I feel like the majority of you it. Can't you can't plan, plan for it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like down to like when she'll actually come. Like, well, just let her know when you have <laughs> scheduled it in your planner. Yeah. So might be freaking out a little bit, but still very, very excited for for Lil London. Me too. Mm. Great questions, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. And now I propose we move on to Supreme Court induction. That sounds like a great idea. And you're not at all prepared not for it, in are the you? Least. Let me stretch it out. Should yeah. I remind people how to get there? Well, we just talked about the Discord. I mean, I, well, I know, but I mean. Two plugs back to back. This episode would have three ads and endless Patreon plugs. People have shut it off by now, Kristen. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Megan Allen. Definitely, maybe. Dana. Guardians of the Galaxy. Ashanti. Get out. Liam. The Emperor Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes... <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> the Emperor's New Clothing. <laughs> Wait, what was that story about the... Yeah, the Emperor's New Clothing. Is that clothes. what it is? Okay. <laughs> and that's Liam's favorite that's book. That's Liam's favorite book. <laughs> EJ. The Witches of Eastwick. Cammy McNutt. The Prestige. I think we should call Peanut McNutt from now on. That's a I know, that's good. great nickname. <laughs> I mean, this is her actual name. <laughs> Sorry, Cammy. Jenny. Steel Magnolias. Kayla Rinish. The Princess Bride. Catherine Howard. Love Actually. Hannah. 
Perks of Being a Wallflower, Ashley, Remember the Titans, Brandy, Fried Green Tomatoes, That AOL Girl, (laughs) Dawn of the Dead, Liz Hover, The Greatest Showman, Welcome to the Supreme Court! Thank you guys for all of your support. We appreciate it so much. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Patreon. All those places. All those places you can find us. I I also want to say, I know I said this a couple weeks ago, but like, again, just super grateful for everybody who's been listening to us. And I mean, if you're new, you are welcome to. We love you too. But like, for the people who've been with us and telling friends about us and everything, like we know that we wouldn't have had three ads in this episode if it weren't for you guys. We One, really, really yeah, appreciate it. One thousand percent. And thank you to our sponsors who are, you know, making this easier for us to do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> what are they again? Uh, we've got Gabby Insurance this Hell week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got the Lost Tapes on the Smithsonian Channel, and we got. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, am I allowed to have a favorite? It's like, like having a favorite child. <laughs> Best fiends. <laughs> Guys, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. And then be sure to join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from a column by Mark Bushnell for the Vermont Digger, newspapers.com, and the article The First Wrongful Conviction from Northwestern School of Law's website. I see why you couldn't give us that title. Mm Mm-hmm. I got my info from an article by Rachel Bell for the Crime Library, an episode of 48 Hours, Spotlight News, ForensicFilesNow.com, and Wikipedia. For a full list of our sources, visit LGTCPodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.